Well, you forced me to watch that, Marty. And did you enjoy it, Justin? Um, I, I would watch it again. Yeah. But it, it, the film is full of characters. It's, there's a there's a soul to it. You know, I, I always think Isla. Isla is really the spiritual homeland of Scotch whiskey. And listen, I know this is the Irish whiskey review, but it's whiskey. It's the world of whiskey. It's all interconnected. It's all kind of interdependent on each other. And, well, Isla is, well, it's very close to where I live. You know, it's, but Scotch whiskey is such a huge behemoth in, in the world that really you have to, you can't ignore it. You have to talk about it. We, we have actually been to Isla. We went to Isla in 20, 2018. And if, if you want to see the pictures, uh, you, and, and if you're listening to this and you want to have a look, you can get an early look at it if you go on to our uh, Buy Me A Coffee site uh, and sign up to uh, support us because uh, not only will you get to go on a, a wee trip with us at some point, maybe not the island, maybe closer to home in Northern Ireland, but you can actually see all the photos in there in the members area of our trip to Isla. And we, we got our eyes open when we got to Isla, didn't we? Don't let don't let the weather put you off. <laughs> it's one of the it's one of the best adventures I ever had. It was just superb. We had an absolute ball. Um, a fabulous place. Uh, but there's there's a little. I'll talk, we'll talk about this a little bit later on about about Isla and and maybe some of the problems that there are because it's 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 interesting. How did you find out about this Water of the Life uh, film? Because it's. I mean, it, it was well put together. I mean, it was crowdfunded. This how on earth did any somebody come up with the concept to crowdfund a thing about this the single malt in, in, industry? How on earth did they do that? And how on earth did they manage to produce something so bloody good? That's up there. This this is up on, on the level of Alan Wicker. Honest to God. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was fabulous. What, really, what they did was that there was a couple of guys involved in the in it who really wanted to do something about whiskey. And as you say, they they got a, a team together, got it crowdfunded or partly crowdfunded, and then set about trying to get the story. And it really, it really has. You can tell that there's even the the producers, the production crew, the director and stuff were really sort of surprised by the story they end up telling. You can you can kind of see that that they, they've met these characters. Well, I mean, it, there's a meme going round on the internet at the minute that Joe Biden had signed an executive order banning drone shots at the start and at the end of films. But th- this film starts with the most ev- evocative start with such dramatic scenery. I thought, oh, this is going to be DJ cliche time. This is going to be, oh, you know. <laughs> and then they do an intro like they filmed in their back garden. And I went, oh, sh- oh, sh- oh, sure. Oh, sugar, oh shit, this is going to be filmed on a webcam because everybody's stuck at home. But obviously they, they must have put the, the footage together before lockdown because they, they travel everywhere in this. They do. I mean, they say on it, it takes, it was two years of filming in three different continents. Um, it, it's, it's fabulously well put together, but it's the characters. There, there is a, a kind of bromance involved in the whole thing. But it's kind of like a, an anti-bromance. Now, <laughs> so it's it's not like Brokeback Mountain. It's like no, it's like it's, close the distillery, break the distillery, open another distillery mountain, isn't it? Well, I tell you what, it's like it's kind of like they get these two 
polar opposite guys who, who essentially couldn't be much much more come from different backgrounds in many ways and yet they both have the same vision for what they want to do now for me the star of the show is Jim McEwen who's a legend in the whiskey world and he's an Isla guy he comes from Isla he worked for 38 years at Bowmore but counter to that this guy called Mark Rainier whose background was in classic French wine and he explains his background and stuff in the story so he, he's English guy uh, lived in France and vineyards and his family is based in wine and Rainer discovers single malt whiskey by accident always, by accident actually by accident. He, he he found that it had the, the one that he tried he found it had lots of balance and lots of flavor and, and all the things that he would look for in a, in a in a wine and he found out it came from Isla and from Brachlady now I'll get you so can you spell Brocladi for me? Is this this is awful game show on BBC Two with that comedian that ain't funny? No, I cannot. I can't even say things like Rainier or Brocladi because <laughs> you, you know I can when I, when I ring the pronunciation department, but I have no idea how to spell things like that. I'd have to look it up. My spelling's atrocious since the, the dawn of the Amstrad PCW nine five twelve. I can't spell because I did a great spell checker. Well, all but like this, there's lots of these distilleries that have very sort of weird. Uh, Scots Gaelic names um, and Brocladi being one of them <laughs> but but what Rainer found was this whiskey that he, f- that he had came from this distillery and found out it was closed so he, he kind of got it in his head I want to buy it <laughs> well he kind of thought well maybe we can do maybe I can I can take this over and do something so eventually he he bought the distillery but listen, what gets me is, Marty, the, the Jim Bean actually, it was Jim Bean mothballed this distillery, so they mustn't have had the vision to do this. But aren't they buying up things again themselves now? Of of course they are, Justin, of course they are. And it's kind of what piggybacking on what the likes of Brocladi did. It's not just solely Brocladi that, that that shook up the world so much. You know, they did. But there's other, there's other factors involved as well. Rainier bought the Brocladi distillery, which was basically derelict but he bought it for six million pound back in 2000 okay which is 21 years ago but he bought it for six million pound but looking at it now it's a massive bargain because one of the things he got was a million liters of spirit now a million liters of spirit sitting in cask i mean if someone said you were going to pay six pound a liter these days hmm would probably be looking at a, a bit of a bargain, you know. So it was it was it was a shrewd move on his part. It's like buying Bob Dylan's back catalogue, isn't it? <laughs> well, you're never but like this. It's whenever Michael Jackson bought the Beatles back catalogue, that, that was a shrewd move, mm-hmm. you know, because you're always you're always making your money back. But uh, we'll talk a wee bit about Isla here because Isla, they say it's the spiritual homeland of of Scotch whisky, and it really is. When you think of Isla, you think of the big, heavy peat monsters, the the frogs and our bags, and you know that that very thick medicinal chemical taste. But you have you have other ones as well. So you have the Isla distilleries are Ardbeg, Lagavulin, Lafroig, Bowmore, Colila, Brochlady, Bunahaben, 
Arnahu, Kilcoman, and possibly you're going to have, uh, well, you are going to have, sorry, Port Ellen and Port Charlotte. Then you're going to have another one in the pipeline at Farkin with Elixir Spirits, and possibly another one at Gartbreck. So you can imagine these people are pumping out huge amounts of whiskey, huge amounts of it. And Isla raises over two million pound in taxes every year for the Exchequer. Two million, two hundred million in taxes every year for the Exchequer. So. I bet you they never get that back, do they? Well, this is this is a, a, a big sticking point. There's only three thousand two hundred and fifty people living in Isla, and to put it into context, that's sixty-two thousand pound in taxes raised per person. You know, per head of population, that's one of the 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 cash cows, if you like. For, for the Exchequer. So it's one of the richest regions in the UK. It's only 600 square kilometres. Now, when you go there, the infrastructure is not exactly what you'd you say is world class. The roads aren't great. The, the housing, there's a housing problem. In the film, and I love this passion, I love the passion that Jim McEwen has for getting jobs getting jobs and so on and so forth and getting the uh, the economy up and running and jobs for young people. I like the way the wee boys just turned up uh, that used to be in his football team or whatever and he just says I, I start tomorrow son and they're still there. <laughs> I like that. But the thing is Justin there's 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 not enough housing. You know you need to start building more houses to, to house these people who are working in the distilleries. So this is this is the problem. You, you have this place to, that generates so much money, huge amounts of money, and they're not necessarily seeing the benefit of it coming back down again. As they build new distilleries, they need new infrastructure to cope. The roads need to be better, hotels for tourists to come over, the the, the ferries over to the island so that people can come over. All of that needs to be upgraded. And that shouldn't be down to the distilleries. Can you can part. you get a ferry directly there? I don't think you can. I think you have to do to, to bunny hop off another island to get there. Even when you're coming from the Scottish mainland. Oh, you do, yeah. Um, I mean, we we can get a, a very small ferry across. We can get a very small boat across. When it runs, when it runs, of course, when not running, runs. running at the minute. Yep. And this this is another problem. So when it runs, I mean, we we can take parties across. I can take parties across to Isla with. Um, on day trips and tours so i mean that's that's always is there but there's there's so much money being generated but at the same time doesn't seem to be coming back to the island in many ways so uh, there's a problem there you can you can see where that problem's going to come in um but for me the hero of the picture is, is jim McEwen. He, he, he's a fabulous fabulous guy i've never met him but uh, just wonderful now the movie water of life gives a great background of the boom and bust the fact that 30 distilleries closed across scotland entire towns became ghost towns and uh, it, it all bounced back uh, thanks to more or less a couple of people really well yes the films do take a little bit of license there's plenty of people who uh can can be thanked for this. You know, the, the people who were always plugging away at, at whiskey. Whiskey was always a big industry. The problem the problem is they created a sort of whiskey lake and they were so focused on on blends that single malts really are are 
extremely recent thing. People people find that hard to believe, but the idea of drinking single malt whiskies really wasn't on anybody's radar up until sort of 20, 25 years ago. Why not? Why why was it all about the blend? I mean, it was was the blend done for consistency? Well, that's that's the reason, primary reason you would want to do a blend. And there's lots and lots of really good blended whiskies out there. I mean, Johnny Walker's a, f- a fabulous blended whiskey. Uh, and 90% of whiskey sold blended whiskey, even today. Right, okay. So, it's a massive part. But single malt is more exclusive. It is more, it's more flavour. It has it is a more of an individuality. Is it natural? There's there's no artificial colouring in, in, in these single malts. Uh, yes, there is. There's some of them really do. Um, some of them do have artificial colouring, but they're moving. They're moving away from that now. There's there's a lot less uh, colouring being put in. Uh, in t- in terms of the blends, there's always going to have to be a little bit. And, and blend it but single malts they tend not to use it too heavy handed these days why is that is that a environmental thing is is it's because it's, it's more a customer driven thing well, customer customers really really what the ideal for a lot of people is they want single cask you know for for the purest they want a single cask um it comes out is set down to uh in its rawest form and what you can do with that then for example is if you get a, a whiskey coming out and it's cask strength 56 percent, for example you can water it down to suit yourself you can have it full the full strength if you want but really it's never going to be at its at its best at that so you you get to play with it you get to do what you want to do with it and add a little bit of water a little bit more water and sometimes take it a little bit too far and you water it down too much and you go ah past it but in that glass one little glass you can have an hour's entertainment with one glass of whiskey and, and it's, fa- it's a fabulous experience when you actually sit down and work with it and do is this is this as good as I think this can be and that's what lots of, lots of purists like to do they like to have that you know so, so it's a strange thing for me that I noticed that they, they want to go back to the natural colour but in other cases, they want to do this cold filtered thing that stops the fatty acids going smoky. I mean, sort of juxtaposition. Going cloudy. Yeah, going but, cloudy, not sorry, smoky. that's what I meant. Cloudy, not yeah. not smoky. But um, there's a juxtaposition there. Yeah, well, the thing is, lots of people, it's okay trying to sell to your purists. Your purists are always going to buy stuff. You know, if you've got dedicated fans who want single malt whiskies and, you know, they want. Uh, non-chill filtered and they want this kind of thing that's fine but you always have to try and find new customers and if I reached you a bottle of whiskey where it was cloudy you would probably think there's something wrong with it straight away and it puts people off um, And in terms of storage and in terms of if it gets cold then if it gets cold then um, it can go cloudy I, I, I must be an exception because my grandfather used to drink whiskey and I always knew that you know if you have something like that, uh, that you will see uh, the sort of I don't know. It always reminds me of pe- petrol and water. You will see the sort of uh, the shimmer in it. 
I always see, you can see this shimmer in it when it when it starts to go, and I I think I think that's a nice thing to see. That that's is it to me that that should happen rather than not happen. For a lot of people, that's not the case. But you know, for a lot of people, they they would think there's something wrong with it. I I was in where was I in? I was in the Adair Arms Hotel in Balamina one night, and I ordered a a, a Dunvilles. Uh, the guy was going to be buy a round of drink, and he brought me down a Dunvilles, and I put a little bit of water in it. And it went cloudy, and the first thing he says, what said to me was, "That whiskey's off." <laughs> I said, "No, it's not. No, it's not, Sean. It's all right. It's exactly the way it should be." Um, it's just, just that's what some people do. But it's interesting in the in the documentary when they talk to to Mark Rayner, who came up, took over this distillery. He was really the wrong person, in many ways, to do it. Because he came from, he came. He was a Sassanach coming up. <laughs> um, I mean, he, he has been quoted as saying that he was uh, everything about him riled the Scots. But there was passion in that man. There was passion in that documentary. Absolutely. There was absolute was. passion in it. You know, we we have actually talked to the the guy beneath him at at Waterford Distillery. That's where he is now. Yeah. Well, he again he he's. The, in the film, we'll not spoil anything in the film, but he, he ends up leaving Brooklady, um and heading over to... He's now in Waterford. He bought the, the site down in, in Waterford and opened that up. Now, his again, he wants to shake things up again and do things slightly differently. His, his big thing, he always talks about this. Whenever you see him being interviewed or talking, he always talks about the terroir. And it's this idea from wine where... The raw ingredients, if you like. He talks about the barley or wine, obviously, it's in the grape. And he talks about this terroir where everything that's grown has a has a sort of mark imprinted on it of where it's grown. Now, our good friend of the show, Vic Cameron, the guy who teaches whiskey, he says that he doesn't think barley has any real effect on, on the final spirit. He... he I can't argue with Vector's credentials far, far, far away mine. But Mark Rainier, on the other hand, he says it does, that it's fundamentally important. If you start off with the barley, everything else from that is is based on the the, the barley. But hold on, but 80% of it comes from the barrel. So, well, so, so then, well, the, then the rest of it's only going to be a 20th of anything. It's not going to be 80% of it. Well, you see, Mark Rayner disputes this. He says it's not. And if you go on to his his uh, the Waterford WaterfordWhiskey.com, um, he he explains and he uses sort of some visual representations to talk about why he thinks things are slightly different and what is terroir and the whiskey project. So what they're doing down in Waterford is they have set up. I think it's it's maybe 60 farms or something. I can't remember the exact figure. But they have these individual farms where they're doing different batches. So every year it'll be a different batch and etc. It's, it's really quite complicated because each individual farm, single farm spirit that's then malted and then put into casks so it's all going to taste slightly different so it's really the total antithesis of a blend of a blend 
So, it's... I can see it doing well, but I can also see it being very difficult because you don't actually know what you're buying. It, you have to be a sort of dedicated fan to stay with it because, you know, say Banno Island, batch one, batch one, uh, point 1.3 is that different from batch 1.1 or is that better than the other island or is that better than that farm or is that better now you can go on he has all the traceability you can actually go on and check out basically every bottle where where it was made how it was made etc etc so it's it's interesting but it, it's hard for it's hard even for anybody any consumer to actually stick with the whole thing it's very difficult if you know what I mean but it's, it's all about the story for the whiskey that's what that's what come across in that documentary Water of Life I mean it, it really explained well single malt to me and it also explained well the the ASIN the, the additional cask evolution as well and Balvenie was uh, was documented Balvenie's Balvenie's were wonderful whiskey uh, if, if uh, anyone's ever wanting to start a a a, a whiskey collection or a whiskey journey if you're really just starting on it I thoroughly recommend getting a Balvenie Doublewood it's it's fairly cheap it's full of flavour really really approachable easy easy drinking but no it, as you say there's all these different elements to the whole thing um, and it really f- filters through the passion that people have for whiskey it really is a a, 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 a spirit and a they talk about it being the blood of a small nation uh, and and it is it's a huge huge revenue for for scotland i mean it's a, it's a massive industry huge now dr rachel barry was one of the scientists that spoke there's a lot of science in this but even she admitted it's as much an art form or more so an art form than it is a science well you see this is this is the thing that's where the likes of jim McEwen comes in jim McEwen when he comes into the thing as I, as I said at the start, you cannot question the man's credentials. He, he's, he's 50 years in the industry. The passion that comes out of him, and, and he's done everything. One of the sort of, um, one of the slightly neglected aspects of, of the whole whiskey industry, everybody sees the, 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 the distiller and the, you know, the, the master blender. The Cooper is kind of the guy in the background, the guy that's doing the casks, who really does all the manual labour. You know, there's putting together the casks is a heavy job with your heavy tools. Uh, that's where McEwen started. So he started with his hands. Where you've got Dr. Barry coming out, and it's the academia of the whole thing. You know, I recently done the, the, the general certificate. You know, these guys are talking about Harry at what university, and it's all part of it. But McEwen started with his the tools, on the tools, all the way up. But but that's the thing that struck me. It's It seemed to me that the scientists at Pentlands weren't trying to argue against the, no. the story and the history uh, and the craftsmanship. They were arguing for it, which was like, Absolutely. which like is amazing because apparently there's there's still aspects of whiskey production that people don't understand. They can't catalogue, they can't quantify. Well, we'll put it like this: you take it, Jim McCoo, the, the the Cooper, the guy who's building the casks. He's the sculptor. He's the sculptor. He's the guy that's chiseling. You know, doing like a Michelangelo on a, on on a block of marble. They're doing it with wood, 
and they create these barrels in which this goes. And there's lots and lots of science. There's lots of science, lots of people checking this out. But no matter how much science you do, from the start of what you create, the, from the barley that's being grown until it goes into a cask, whatever cask you bring it in, to whenever it's it's put in the bottle, you can never be 100% specific on what's going to happen. It's just because they don't understand it enough and probably never will. That's why there's the, the, the two opposing sides. You have uh, Mark Rainier who says, terroir is everything for the whiskey you start with that that's where it all comes from versus someone like Vic Cameron who uh, has all these malting credentials who um, bought the malt for Diageo massive company and he says that well, the barley's not really as important as anything else well I, I think that half the fun's in the arguing actually and the kissing and making up afterwards because listen <laughs> I, I, I want to know I want to know Isla was famous for, for the uh, the peated whiskies, right? And of mm-hmm. course, then then they get criticised for for not having any peated whiskies. So then they out peated the peters. I could, I could, I, I could, get your head round this. I mean, well, the, the documentary really conveys this superbly. It does, and it, it it's you know they get criticised because Isla's known for its peated whiskies, and Brooklady came out with unpeated whiskies. As Jim McEwen says, Isla always made unpeated whiskies. You know, they're always dead. It's just that it's best known for, for the peat, and that's the peat that goes into to lots of the, the Scottish blends. So what they decided to do was bring out Octomore and just up the, the, the parts per million of the, of the peat to as much as they could. And then, then that's it. Job done. Nobody can nobody can criticise you, you know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they'll be coming out with, with gin with no alcohol in it next. Oh, they've really done that. They'll be doing whiskey next. Whiskey with no alcohol in it. What, whatever's next. Oh, my but, God. But, but I guess the one thing in the in the, in the, uh, the documentary is whenever you see Jim McEwen and he's, he's having a drink and you just know that Jim... Jim can probably put away quite a lot. <laughs> you know, it's like if you're going, if you're, if you're going out with that guy, I would imagine it's probably best he starts buying the rounds <laughs> because you could be there a while. I mean, the the passion for the whole place and and for the project, and then I mean, coming over to Waterford, the the whole part that that's playing now too is just you know, there's it's. It's fabulous, and that's that's the difference between whiskey and the likes of your vodkas and stuff, you know. So, what you're saying is, if people haven't seen this Water of Life film, it's still out there. You can still watch it online. Absolutely, you can. You can buy a ticket for it and watch it. Um, I am. I imagine that will still be available. I don't know. You'll have to just check and find out. But it's well worth catching up with at some point. Really, really enjoyed it. Thought it was. Thought it was really good. Did you manage to catch any of the panel discussions that went on after the movie, or? or, or? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I, I signed up for those as well. Um, I, unfortunately, just the way things have been going for the last couple of days, I didn't get to watch them live. But they were recorded, and I got to watch them. And and there was a lot of fun to be had. People enjoyed doing this. Um, the, the opening shot that you're talking about, where you see the, the out over the sea, and you see the the. the the waves coming rolling in apparently what happened there was when the filming crew arrived 
McEwen says, right, I know where to go to get the opening shots. And he marched them up to this place and he marched them across all the, up and down, them carrying all the equipment to get set up and so on and so forth, just to get the shot of him sitting there. Because he said that's one of his favourite places on the island. Yeah. Because, one, he wanted, he likes the fact that from where he sits, the waves roll basically from North America all the way across to that point. Mm-hmm. You know, across, across the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. But the guy says to him, was there an element of you testing us just to see how just to see how passionate we were to do this? <laughs> well, there was an element of that too. So he got them in march up, march all the way across up and down mountains just to get a nice <laughs> shot of watching the scene. You know? All right, right, very good, very good. Uh, how are they going to top that off? I mean, are they going to do other documentaries about other aspects of whiskey, or are they going to do other documentaries about other things? Because let's let's face it, that should be on Discovery Plus. I will. Um, I don't know. Um, I've no idea. I'm not really. Okay, with the the team behind it, but I, I thoroughly congratulate them for doing it. Um, I, th- I think the story they told is as much about the people and about the area as it is about whiskey. And I, I've, I've, I've a great belief that anything where people are passionate about, it, it's infectious. I once had a conversation, I've, I've told that story a few times, I once had a, an hour-long conversation with a guy about labels, and he ran a f- company making labels, and he was so passionate about it. His wife said, are you boring him to tears with this? But it was infectious. <laughs> the guy was, the guy was, he was passionate, he was talking about the different styles of labels and why you have, this has to be in the legal aspects of this. And people who are passionate about things are infectious, and the, 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 they're the people that change the world, you know? Okay, uh, catch us uh, Saturday nights, 10pm, live on Facebook and YouTube, Irish Whiskey Review. That's been great, Marty. Absolutely great. Water of life, the movie. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I would recommend it to anyone with anyone with an interest in, in Mavericks, anyone with an interest in whiskey, anyone with an interest in Scotland or in whiskey, or, or just a good documentary. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Take care. Take care.